if you have religious trauma, this episode is for you. That's mm-hmm. we can start there. Cowboys and Slaybots, a pop culture podcast. This week we are going to be doing an album review and analysis of Ethel Kane's Preacher's Daughter. My name is Sage. I use she, they pronouns. You can find me on TikTok and on Twitter at Sage Sindula. And I'm Noah. I use he, him pronouns. And you can find me on pretty much all social media at The Jewish Jedi. I am so excited to talk about this album. So here's the thing about Ethel Kane. One, that's mother. I will just say that from the beginning, that's mother. Two, I found this album because it came up on like my Spotify recommended and I was like, I don't know who this is. And I pressed play and I can definitively say it was never the same. At least me personally, I was changed. No, exactly. I I feel the same way. Uh, It's truly a religious experience. (laughs) Truly is. A deeply negative one, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, no, of course. I feel I feel we should preface this by saying we are going to be talking about religious drama, or at least I'm going to be talking about mine. Just a full, like, trigger warning, because this album is really dark. Yes, religious trauma, it's a huge part of the album. Also, family issues is a major motif. Be careful with that. I'd say anything that relates to violence against women, that's a huge part of this album in general but yeah no so this is this is her second full album right her first was um inbred um inbred was an ep it only was three songs so this is her first this is her debut album and it's incredible it's phenomenal it's 13 songs long and some of them are literally almost 10 full minutes Mm -hmm. and it literally like i will say this is an album where i am amazed by the fact that pretty much every song stands on its own really well but i think as like a piece of art it should be experienced in full when possible like if you're gonna press play press play and go all the way through and then say okay well i've done it i've lived it and also definitely like listen to that album before we talk about it <laughs> not like not like spoilers for ethel kane but like- <laughs> Spoilers for Ethel Kane's actual life. Yeah, I would I would definitely listen to it beforehand um, and then come back to this and get our full thoughts on it. Starting with some background on Ethel Kane. Ethel Kane is actually an alter ego, someone who is separate yet saturated in the life experience of Hayden Anhedonia. Anhedonia is a 24-year-old trans woman from the Florida panhandle who grew up in a Baptist community, born to a deacon. The album Preacher's Daughter is about the life of Ethel Kane, who grew up in an almost identical way to uh, Hayden. Ethel Kane's story goes along the lines of Hayden and Hedonia's life. However, it splits at a point in which I'll just say, in the words of Hayden and Hedonia, if I'm the good ending, she's the bad one. So basically, Ethel Kane's story, her life ends in a way that Hayden and Hedonia's life did not, but very well could have. Yeah. And I think ultimately that's part of the the potency. I like the way that you said that, that it ended in a way that it did not, but could have. I think that's a lot of the, the potency of the symbols and themes of this album is that it, first of all, I will say it plays like a horror movie um, in a, in a really amazing and fantastic way, in a way that I honestly, like, I think few albums really compare in the way that it feels to listen to. But I would also say that it feels very real and very like a thing that can just sort of happen given the circumstances of Ethel Kane as a, as a character, as an alter ego's life. Um, to the point where I'm, I'm always curious when I'm listening to this about like how much of this was experienced versus thought of, how much of it was like seen and observed versus actually lived through. 
And it's a fascinating piece of media because it really does feel like the world's most horrifying possible biography. And yet because of that, it's ending, I think, is really steeped in this like, I don't want to say hopeful because it's not that kind of album. But I do think that when you finish it, you sort of feel like, but it wasn't this. It didn't end this way. And that's something that we have to be happy and ecstatic about, basically. Like, we continue on. Right. The ending of the album as a whole is just, it's very sad. When you get to the end, you are tired. You are so, you're upset and you're tired. And you're basically mourning the loss of Ethel Kane of her entire life as she's basically relaying it to you. The whole album is in her perspective. And it's really just when you get to the end, you're just sad. But it is one of those things where when you're listening to it, especially if you're listening to it as a woman who lives in America, you're kind of like, we know this is life. Like we know that this is something that happens to a lot of girls. But luckily for Hayden, it didn't end that way. Yeah, I do also. So um, I looked into sort of like reviews of this album and one of them that I found from NPR, which is titled In Ethel Kane's Music, Hell is a Place on Earth by Megan Garvey. Um, but there's a quote about like the persona Ethel Kane that I feel really encapsulates the energy of this album. Um, and Garvey writes, you can picture her there haloed in dusty sunbeams and dressed like Laura Ingalls Wilder with stick and pokes, writing long and crushing ballads that feel, to borrow words from writer Flannery O'Connor, Christ haunted. Anhedonia makes these songs as Ethel Kane, a persona that possessed her more or less just after her 20th birthday when she publicly came out as trans. The name evokes biblical murderers, pinched American Gothic typefaces, and that kind of ancient 5am churchgoer who seems, though not yet dead, post alive. And I feel like that to me really does a great job of summarizing how this album feels and also who the persona that Ethel Kane is. I really do like that line, though not yet dead, post alive. Um, and I think it really sets the tone for what this album is and what it explores in its themes and its messaging. And especially through like sonically, I think you, you mentioned like you feel tired at the end of it, like how this feels to listen to is really interesting. I actually listened to it the first time coming back from a, a road trip in Oregon, which is a 10 hour drive back to where I was going. And when you're in like the literal middle of nowhere, listening to these tracks, you really do feel all of the things that she's feeling when she's writing this. And it's incredible. Let's get into our first track, Family Tree Intro. It is one of the best ways to introduce the album. Uh, one of the best first tracks like ever. It's so good. I so agree. It is, it's just such a way. It's like you you know as soon as you press play what you're getting into and you also don't. You know, you're like, wow, I know what I'm getting into musically. Narratively, you don't understand the full complexity of that song until you get to the end. There's a yeah. there's a line in particular. The line goes, "The fades already fucked me sideways, swinging by my neck from the family tree." He'll laugh and say, "You know, I raised you better than this." Then leave me hanging so they can all laugh at me. Yeah, so incredibly true. When I heard that line, I was like, the first time listening through, you're like, "Oh, that's ominous," yeah. and then you get to the end and re-listen to intro, and you're like, <gasps> "Oh, it's bad." Oh it's, oh, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. This is dark. This is so no, dark shit. It's an incredible start. It's such a tone setter, which I love. Also, I mean, like, lyrically, as someone who I had not listened to any of her music before this, my first experience with her, so I'm like, I have no idea what to expect. She has this, I mean, every line in this song is a gut punch, because there's not many of them, so all of them are really, really impactful. 
But she has one where she says, Jesus can always reject his father, but he cannot escape his mother's blood. He'll scream and try to wash it off his fingers, but he'll never escape what he's made up of. And like, I feel between the two of those sets of ideas, we've got a clear picture of what we're walking into thematically. But like you said, like the story by which, that which we are about to experience is so like, because you're like, fuck. Like what, what are we walking into? And instrumentally, it's haunting. It's cool, but you're like, something's not right here, not even a little bit. No, it's not at all. It's so good. It is so good. I think that line too also, it brings in one of the other topics of this, of the album in general, which yes, is family. It literally starts with this, the song Family Tree intro. But the concept of motherhood is very subtly explored in this album. It's one of the last lines of the album involves Ethel Kane's mother. It's really dark, um, but it is it is such an interesting concept and motif to bring into an album like this simply because it's called Preacher's Daughter and the preacher is referring to her father. So you would think that the album is going to explore her relationship with her father, but then there's this underlying motif of how mothers impact your life and how mothers stay with you forever and how they like how your vision of the world, how your perspective of the world is changed by them. It's just if you have mommy issues, maybe listen to this album. <laughs> well, and I think too, the way it circles around at the end, like you mentioned, like when you when you get to the last track of this song and you're like, oh, we're back. Like mm-hmm. we we really come all the way back around. I think one thing that this album really meditates on that I enjoy is the way that we characterize violence from fathers versus mothers. Um, especially insofar as like there is, and I will, you know, spoilers for Ethel Kane, but you know, there's a lot of violence by men across this album. It's a huge portion of both the narrative and what it wants to talk about. But I think in many ways, it also knows that that violence is expected and anticipated. It's not something that we are meant to be shocked by that it's happening because that is what, like when you hear about violent incidents, you think men are, are involved in that. And I think violence is expected of them. I think the other thing is that violence from a maternal source is a lot more mentally traumatic sometimes because we assign mothers the archetype of nurturing and caring and any subversion of that is really mentally upsetting to think about and this album really sits with that I think and I think sonically a lot of the songs that are like slower they really force you to sit with that feeling and sit with that question in a way that's really unique but yeah no this opening is this song is so interesting coming back around once you finish the album. It's such a, like, a kind of a mindfuck almost where you're like, I'm recognizing what we were talking about. And now we've come all the way back around. It's really interesting. It's perfect placement. I think all of these songs, because it is a narrative album, have this perfect placement to them. Um, except for maybe one, and I might get to that later. Uh, however, Hayden and Hedonia started this album in 2018, uh, which is insane. And you can tell because it's it is written so masterfully. But she wanted to write it uh, as a as a film first, and she has plans on writing this Ethel Kane character in more albums uh, in the future. She's already started her second album. Can I have it now? Actually, um, literally, I'm like, all right, let's do it. I'm ready. Let's go. No, I'm ready. <laughs> it's said to be about Ethel Kane's mother, so maybe I need it immediately. Actually. However, um, back to what I was saying, she also wants um, to write books. And that is something when I was listening through this, when I listened through it the second time, I was like, wow, this would be a perfect novel. And I already know how I would structure it. 
And I think Family Tree intro serves as this very eerie uh, noir like prologue. And it's one of those prologues that when you get to the epilogue, you're kind of like, oh, wow, these are so connected and everything that's happened in between all the chapters that have happened in between hit so much harder. Yeah, I think it really helps to to recontextualize a lot of what happens over the course of the album in, a, in that very thematic way. And I will say, um, if anyone ever wants to just make this into a full-length feature film, I'll happily watch. Um, like, like, it's such a good story. Like, if I could read it as a book, I would. But I think also, I'm a firm believer in, you know, the medium is the message. And I think that this as an album is so perfect for what it needs to be to really resonate with the person experiencing it. So yeah, no, Family Tree intro, it's a lot, but it's really good for that reason. I will say, I remember listening to this and being blindsided by the song that follows this up because you go from this like very dark, very apprehensive, very like foreboding sense that you get in the first track. And then we jump into track two, which is American Teenager. And this is like an upbeat pop number. It's a great song. Like it's a genuinely great song, but you're listening to it and you're like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. The track before this, we're talking about things that we're not talking about right now. I'm really confused. Like what's happening? But it's really yeah. good. I will say something that I love about American Teenager specifically is that sonically, it's very like we're upbeat, we're having fun, we're, you know, we're having like high school good time. And then you listen even a little bit harder to any of the lyrics. And it's like, this isn't fun at all. No, this is bad. Like one of the first lines is the neighbor's brother came home in a box, but he wanted to go. So it was maybe it was his fault. Mm hmm. Meanwhile, the soundtrack is like, I love high school and my car <laughs> and my friends. And it's like, wait, no, hold on. <laughs> go back like the music is is giving taylor swift fearless you know like it's like, that's the it's, no literally it's it's like literally giving like debut almost where you're just like oh it's like a fun like country high school experience but yeah. the lyrics are like what the lyrics yeah it's kind of like listening to like kyoto by phoebe bridgers you're like wow this is such a bop and then you listen to the lyrics and you're like oh Ow, you're like, oh, never mind. I lied. <laughs> like, you're like, it's a bop, but I am crying through it, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, the the music video too. I think I think a lot of this album we do need to talk about in a visual sense because there is the uh the visual album on YouTube, which if you're experiencing this album for the first time, you you might want to do that first because it's so it just adds so much extra like mystery to it some of the the visuals are like huh this is so interesting I wonder why this is here and then some of them are like oh my god I'm terrified um <laughs> you know you know uh and however I do think that the only song on this album is that has a music video is uh American Teenager and it is Ethel Kane basically like wandering around um Hayden's hometown which is great uh and also a little like detail in it is that Ethel Kane is wearing Hayden's mother's cheerleading outfit. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. I did uh -huh. not know that. Okay. Um, I'm going to go. This has been fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> Bye. Yeah, it's really, it's dark. It's getting dark here already. We're, it's a really good time. Um, Like the, the music video in general is like really fun. It's almost giving like teen vogue kind of vibes you know it's really a little it's bit cute. yeah yeah but as a, the song as a whole I think there was a line you texted me the other day where she's like it's just not my year that line 
And then you think about it. It's one of those things where you have to listen to this album twice, of course. Um, yeah. It's one of those things where you listen back after, say, Sunbleached Flies. And you're like, oh, shit. You're like, oh, it really was a lot worse than that, actually. Yeah. I will say that line specifically. She says, I don't need anything from anyone. It's just not mm-hmm. my year. All right. Because um, a lot of these lyrics really convey that sense of like, something being so deeply wrong in your personal or your home life and simply not discussing it like with anybody you really get this sense um from the lyrics and I would honestly say also from like the sound of the song that something is so so not okay and yet we can't be projecting that like she has a line where she's like crying in the bleachers but I said it was fun like because ultimately she has to project this like very guarded sense of self that everything's going great and I'm happy and nothing is wrong And I find that like so chilling too, given how the rest of the album plays out and you sort of watch that facade fall away until it just goes into complete nightmare horror mode. But uh, yeah, this song is a banger. Uh, It is, it's sad, but it's a banger. I can confidently say that it's very, it's like a very good song to listen to. And then it's just like completely contrasted by the next song, which is something that I find so interesting with this album is because Every song is so different from the one before it and the one after it. Every single one in its emotional and mental whiplash to listen to it. Um, especially like we we're talking this song in the family tree intro. I would say like, there's a few songs on here actually we'll get to that are just kind of like, wow, what did I just listen to? <laughs> no, literally you're like, wait, can we go, hold on. I need to process for a second. Mm-hmm. No, it's a lot. This song, okay. This song is one of my favorites off of this album definitively um just in the way that it sounds i will say one thing about her that i really enjoy is she has a really unique voice and i don't really know i don't really have the right words to describe it in a way i feel is accurate i think but if you like listen to it you can see like you can hear what i mean basically she just sounds so different in ways that she does her production on these it's mm, I don't even know how the right words to discuss what I'm talking about, but like, you know what I mean? Like she's, she's yeah. Just... I was also, I was also, we'll talk about this later, more towards the end of the album, but um, this album is very much about womanhood and femininity. And this song really expresses that in its, in its tone, in, in the music. It's very kind of like, I'm a teenage girl and I'm going to go like run through a field and like go to my high school football game. You know, it's in the music video. She's wearing a cheerleader's outfit. It's very much teenage girl. That's the vibe, even though the lyrics are so dark. However, I do think that there's places in this album that listening to it through the lens of a, a woman living in America is very much like, oh, this is girlhood. This is what girlhood is. And this is what womanhood is. And it is so, it's such a dark contrast. And there's a, there was an interview. The interview is from the website, The Line of Best Fit. It's by Sophie Walker. And in it, um, Hayden Anadonia is talking about femininity through this album and how, because she's a trans woman, she took the opposite approach as a lot of other trans uh, artists, trans woman artists who like to pitch their voices up. And she says that she actually pitched her voice down a lot in this album um, on the record because femininity is not something that is, you know, it is constructed by society. It's not something that has rules. It's not something that should be policed in a certain way. Um, And so to have that in there, I thought was such an interesting 
interesting way to do this album because there's a lot of times where Ethel Kane is portraying this like lover's rage almost. Every time I think about it, I'm like, wow, that is such like a woman experience. And the way that it's sung and the deep voice that Ethel Kane uses throughout certain parts of each song versus like American Teenager, which a lot of it is like up in a higher octave and it's very upbeat. It's so interesting to look at that and to be like, wow, here's where we started and now here's where we are. Um, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by your particular point about like, this is girlhood and this is womanhood, like the distinctive separation between that. And I will say a, a thing that I noticed, and obviously I'm speaking from this as someone who is a man, so I'm, I'm not going to be like, I really get that. Like, I really feel seen, like, because I, I yeah. don't. But um, one thing that I noticed is you really feel womanhood weigh on her as the album goes on, like to the point where every song sort of uh, up until a specific one, uh, but like every song kind of just gets like lower and lower in tone and instrumentals, like it really shifts to the point where she's just exhausted by the burden that she feels from from womanhood itself. And I'm I'm really fascinated by this. I didn't know that she pitched her voice down. Um, to do a lot of this album but now that I'm thinking back I'm like okay I can hear where we're doing that but that kind of like deliberate choice I feel really does impact the album so 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 well like you really feel it with her something about like this song is first of all this song is about her lover that she no longer is with Mm -hmm. Um, and I feel that this is where we start seeing her really grasping at straws for like this stability that she finds in her relationships And I'm fascinated by it because she's very like pensive and sad in this album. And also I'll just say like the piano in this song is absolutely gorgeous. One thing about this album that I am in love with is that I think you really see her vision of where she is when these songs are happening based off how she produced them. But this is the point where she starts looking for something that's going to end up causing a problem basically. And between the lyrics and this like bombastic, like the bombastic piano in the background of most of this song, you really do feel like the hollowness that she started to carry with her as she's beginning to age into adulthood. And a lot of this song is longing for a time that didn't really exist. Like in reality, this whole, like this idea of, I still call home that house in Nebraska because it's where, where we had this and where we felt safe. But ultimately it doesn't really exist anymore. And this is a fantasy that she's conjured for comfort, not for like getting through it. Um, and I'm I'm fascinated by it, where it is in the album because of where it ends up leading us to. Uh, but like, this is like some of the last lines talking where she's like, I just feel so completely alone without anybody here to be with me. I'm just by myself. And I think it also speaks to the fact that like her character, the, the character of Ethel Kane doesn't have personal stability. And like needs this external validation that she no longer has with him that we get to a house in Nebraska. And it's just her lyricism really makes you feel that emptiness. Like you don't feel like sad. You just feel shitty, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. House in Nebraska is one of my favorite songs off this album. I'm obsessed with it. I listen to it every single day. It's becoming a problem at this point, but it's fine. We don't need to talk about it. Um, I do think so true. Yeah, that's like, I feel like a lot of this album, I'm kind of like, I literally texted Claire today and I was like, Preacher's Daughter, my literal favorite album ever. And I'm like, maybe that's a bit of an issue because this album is really dark. Like, maybe we why- should unpack a little bit how we how we feel seen by this because that uh, might answer some deep burning questions. Yeah. Yeah. Like there should be no reason for me to be like, wow, this is my comfort album. 
See. No, because the idea of being like, I feel so good when I listen to Preacher's Daughter. I put it on, I say, well, now I feel healed. I feel put back together by this. <laughs> what? <laughs> no, because that's so... I feel like there's like a handful of songs in isolation off the album mm-hmm. that you could be like, oh, these are fun. But unfortunately, the context of them tends to kill that pretty fast. Like, right. but yeah, no, this, I, oh God, I love the idea of being like, what's your comfort album? Oh, it's Preacher's Daughter by Apple Game. And it really is, which is so bad. I literally, when I listened to this the other day, like fully through again, because I was driving far um i like literally texted you after i was like so i'm literally sobbing on the freeway right now i just know because i'm like uh i want to wind down for the evening i'll listen to preacher's daughter that always puts me in a a nice good mood (laughs) i'm obsessed with your mind holy shit it's so it's like it like scratches an itch in my brain that i'm like wow I feel. I mean, that's fair. (laughs) Unfortunately, too, the thing is, it's just a lot of really good music. So I'm like, no, I do want to listen to it again. And then I listen to it and I'm like, I've been broken irreparably. All right, well. I'm sorry for the person that I'm going to be when this album comes out on vinyl. Because it's just not going to be good for anyone who comes into my house. Uh Uh-uh. No, they're like, can you please turn it off? And you're like, I know it's been three days, but no. But no. It's going to be on loop. I'm sorry that you don't appreciate her like I do, but you will. You'll learn. (laughs) I'm like getting, I'm like asleep and the record stops and I have to get up to go flip it. Sleepwalking over to the Apple Kane album and saying, oh, we're going to do it again. All right. And then going right back to bed. Mm-hmm. It's going to be the best sleep of my life, to be honest. <laughs> so true. You're like finally free of the insomnia I have been plagued with because I put on a preacher's daughter and I went to bed. All right. Awesome. The song after House in Nebraska, I gotta be honest, Western Nights is actually one of the songs on this album that is not one of my favorites. It's by far not a bad song, but personally, in terms of my ranking, it does fall far shorter than many of the others. Um, What I do like about this song a lot is the way that, like, like in House in Nebraska, you get the sense that she is, like, totally lost without somebody, like, with her. Like, she basically needs this relationship to survive. You really feel that in this track. A lot of the lyrics literally are like, our lives are shit. He starts bar fights all the time. We have no money. I don't know what's going on. But she's like, I'll never leave. He's never looked more beautiful. I feel happy about this. I feel good about it. Um, It's a lot. If you ever think you've escaped a childhood trauma, put this one on and think again. Yeah. Yes. And I think that this, this is such a interesting look into growing up very sheltered, growing up without you know, connection to the outside world because both Ethel Kane and Hayden Antidonia both grew up in a very sheltered Baptist community, preacher dads, absent kind of-esque moms. So once you escape that life and you go out and you find someone who you think you're going to spend the rest of your life with, that's who House in Nebraska is about. Now you're kind of, you've, you've lost that. You've lost everything you've known. Um, And that was, that's on you. Like she literally says, I think one of my favorite lines in House in Nebraska is um, it hurts to miss you, but it's worse to know that I'm the reason you won't come home. Yeah. It's, it hits so hard. It hits every so time. Hard. Um, And so I think that she's now at a point where she's like, I, I don't know what to do. I just need to cling on to something. And instead of something, she clings on to someone. And that someone is not someone who's good. He is a drug addict. He is someone who, like you said, starts bar fights, is just not a good person for her to be around. Uh, but she doesn't she doesn't know what to do. 
uh, she just knows that she's like in love. She's she's kind of has this like insatiable lust for this guy. And it, it backfires, obviously, not as much as her next one. But um, but it she does... will have worse romances in this album, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it is it is it is a point where it's not something it's not a, a song on the album that I will like be like, yes, I will listen to this over and over and over again. And I'm obsessed with it. Um, it is phenomenal. It's a phenomenal song. It's long. Uh, but that's a lot of these songs are really long. Thoroughfare, love you so much, girly, but why are you 10 minutes? <laughs> no, literally putting it on and saying, oh, I'll be here a while. All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I will say one thing about this that I feel also ties into a lot of the themes of the album is that she finds a lot of, of comfort and cruelty. And I think the reality of anybody who has any family that's even mildly abusive is that um, that environment becomes something you know how to exist in and it becomes something you understand at least I know how to live with this and I mean it's really revelatory that the first line literally is he's never looked more beautiful on his Harley in the parking lot breaking into ATMs like because to to Ethel Kane as a person romance and sex and relationships are things that must be confided with pain and because I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why that is. We get that sense when she talks about her family and her background. And I think too, just actually from Hayden's actual life, it's really clear why that might be something that would be emotionally sought out. And I think like one thing that I do love about Western Nights is it works really hard to get you to understand how she's feeling. Cause like it, you really do feel for her in this and the juxtaposition of House in Nebraska where she feels so lost and adrift without this person and like you said, that ultimately what happened there was her fall. So you really see her clinging on to this new person because she's like, well, I, I screwed up the last one. I won't do that again. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to do this by myself. And it's like, it's hard to listen to mentally because you're like, you like, this is bad. This guy's clearly bad. But the song really makes you see, I get how we got here. You know what I mean? Like you really feel for her. I feel like this whole album, because she's basically telling you about her life, right? And some of it, she's not the most reliable narrator at times um, for a multitude of different reasons. However, I think a lot of the times you really like, I know that you're just acting out and I feel bad for you because this is not who you are. You just don't know who you are yet. And I feel like that's a big part. Self-discovery is a big part of this um, album in general. Hayden, when she was talking about this album, she's talking about Ethel Kane as a person. She says that family is the closest thing to her but she wants it to be the furthest thing from her. But you know you can never really escape that. That in context with Western Nights and then the next song, which is Family Tree, I think is so, it it puts it into perspective so well because in Western Nights, she's like, I'm running. I am getting out of here. House in Nebraska has just happened. She's she's come to terms, not come to terms, but she's realizing that that's never going to happen again. And she wants it to happen, but it's never going to happen again. And um, now she has to get away from that, has to get away from, it's not only her family now that she's getting away from, it's this guy who she thought she was going to spend the rest of her life with, who, you know, you could, you would consider a different kind of family. Um, And so now she's lost two families in her life and she has to um, figure out a way to get so far away from that. And so I think uh, I agree with everything you're saying, but I also think that on top of it, it's kind of like, I don't need family. I need to get away from family. And what I need is this guy who's so beautiful and is also just like really bad and hurts me a lot. I do really like that, that idea too, that whole, like, I, this is me running. 
basically. Like I have, I just, I've got to go. And like, I, I really do think that, yeah, this, this like triad of songs basically on this part of the album really does communicate this like sprinting away from what she perceives as keeping her trapped and is terrible. And it is all of those things, but what she runs into is also, as we see, not, not great. <laughs> it's not good. Western I Lee Listen to Family Tree, which is probably in my top three off of this album for so many reasons. Um, I do start levitating when I listen to this song a little bit. I'm not going to lie. Instrumentally, oh, it's off the shits. I love it so much. It's so good. Like there's just, there's a part where this wicked guitar comes in and I'm like, I'm going to explode. Like if I heard it live, I would be flying physically. Like, yes. And the lyrics are also like, oh, all right, where things are bad. Because, you know, like we've we've returned to some of the original motifs in the intro version of Family Tree. But wow, does this song really go for it with the with the music? Like, holy shit, this song is so good. Family Tree, phenomenal. Literally one of my favorite songs on the album. I love it so much. Incredible. Yes, musically. I'm playing it on full blast in the car. My speakers are breaking the sound coming out of them it's the car is rattling i can't see my through ears the are bleeding <laughs> <laughs> i can't see through the rear view mirror because it's vibrating like <laughs> and i literally am not exaggerating however uh there is a line in it that we're going back to um family tree intro that one line i was saying about um the fates already fucked me sideways swinging by my neck from the family tree. And then there's a line in family tree that says it's it's like the little bridge. And it's my favorite part of the entire album because I'm obsessed with it. It's I've killed before and I'll kill again. Take the noose off, wrap it tight around my hand. They say heaven hath no fury like a woman scorned and baby hell don't scare me. I've been times before. Are you kidding? No, because I lost it at that. I literally, I was like, I have to rewind. I have to sit down. I have to keep going. Like, yes. If I'm, it's like, I'm playing it. And if I'm not paying attention at that part in the song, I'm like, wait, I have to go back. And it's- no, literally. I'm like, oh, hold on. I need to really, really bring myself down to the experience really fast. And then I'll go back again. Yes, exactly. And I think it's, it's back to that, what we were talking about, about femininity and womanhood. She says this in a lot of this song is she's kind of like in an, in a higher octave when she's like belting out these incredible lyrics however that verse in particular she is singing at such a low octave and her voice is so deep and you know it's like you know she means business she no literally like if if this person were in front of me saying that i'd be a little afraid no i'm like (laughs) she communicates this like and i love this album too as a lover of like the southern gothic horror genre basically because it really does play into those like she feels like some kind of eldritch deity in that moment. I'm like, oh, I'm Literally. like, you're terrifying in the best way. Like, I also love the juxtaposition of her being like, I am literally not afraid of hell itself. Like, I do not care. And the literal next line being like, so take me down to the river and bathe me clean. Put me down, put me on the back of your white horse to ride all the way to the chapel, let you wash all over me. Like, she's just, there is this, burning indifference to the world around her that we really feel in this song where she's like this is what it is and I don't give a shit and it's it's so good I'm like levitating while I'm levitating thinking about it it's not even on right now and I'm like oh I remember I remember how it feels it's it's to the it's also I think that this is a this is a huge turning point in her story in her life and not only because it's 
you know, this is the family tree after family tree intro, just the, the titles of the songs, you know, that this is what's what the album's about. This is where her life is taking a turn and you can feel it in the music. That lyric of the take the noose off, wrap it tight around my hand back to family tree intro where she's saying swinging by my neck from the family tree in family tree intro. She's trapped by her family. She's trapped by her community and her like very suffocating religious upbringing. And now she's taking that metaphorical noose off from her neck and tying it around her hand as a weapon. That is basically what's happening. Literally, literally. (laughs) And I, I love it too, because like she maintains this like deep lower voice basically for the rest of this little section where she's saying, sit me down to the room and bathe me clean. And what I love about that too, is it like, like you said, like she has this, her history almost like she's brandishing it against everybody and like being like, yeah, this is what I've got. What are you going to do about it? Like, it's so cathartic. And what I love too is at the very next section, she starts yelling on the end of this track. And it's, yes. first of all, amazing to listen to. But also what I love about it too is you have this sort of like indifference from her in that one section where she's like, yeah take me down to the river we're gonna do it and then the next one she's yelling she's like i basically being like i fucking dare you to tell me what you know about me what you think you understand what you think i am because i am none of those things anymore and i'm like it's like a transcendent experience genuinely it's so good and such a and like like you said i think it really is a turning point i think this is one of those parts of this album where she embraces her her image of womanhood basically I think is a a point where we really see she's like I am who I am I'm not gonna stop being that because of what I come from family tree is immediately followed by hard times this is another one of the songs that I'm kind of like it's not my favorite yeah I love it for what it is in the album I, I do not listen to it on its own the whole song is about her like okay maybe I'm not actually happy maybe this is not what's what's good for me maybe I need to find something else and then I would say that it's it's a learning moment for her. She's very like, okay, I'm done with this. I'm over it. And now let me go right back into a relationship with another man. Literally, which, literally. Which is, yes. Which is something that is like really important to the album as a whole um, and to Ethel Kane's like tendencies in her life and the things that you know she's a very self-destructive person she is and she knows that about herself we know that from house in nebraska that she can realize like when she's not making good decisions and when she has destroyed something that's not to say that anything that happens to her is her own fault it's not like a lot of things just happen to her and are it's really sad and it's really upsetting but it's also kind of showing this you know it's one of those things not to bring outside media into <laughs> into this podcast. Um, and the Ethel Kane verse. Let's hear it. Let's do it. <laughs> have you ever read the story, um, Where Have You Come From, Where Are You Going by Joyce Carol Oates? I have not. Okay. So it's my favorite short story of all time. It's about this 13-year-old girl named Connie who just wants to be older. Her family is so boring and average and she wants to be spectacular basically. And she wants to be the center of attention and she wants that attention to be from men. She just is kind of scandalous for a 13 year old. She puts on makeup and then she will go out with her friends who are 13 year olds and don't care about that kind of stuff. And then she'll be like, I'm not actually going to go see this movie with you. I'm going to go hang out at the diner with these guys, these older guys. So that's basically what it's about. 
And then it really bites her in the ass because I will be reading this just so we're clear. It is so good. I've read it upwards of 20 times. Joyce Carol Oates, you have bad opinions and please stop talking on Twitter. It's really embarrassing for someone who loves your story so much. Um, However, this story in particular, if you don't, (laughs) I think that as reading it as like a person who's been a 13 year old girl, I'm like, yes. And who's also like been a 20 year old woman who like knows the dangers of the world reading it as that is very scary and heartbreaking don't read what Joyce Carol Oates thinks about it though like don't think what she wrote about because it's I'm just, just gonna read it and be like I don't know who wrote this I already found yeah. a, I already found the pdf on, on google I went and looked it up and I'm like oh well I'm I'm so sad this author chose to remain anonymous <laughs> alas uh I will be happy reading anyway yeah so true. Um, anyways, the story basically, I won't say how it ends because I, I think everyone should go read it. Um, it. It really backfires in this man who she has met, who she has presented herself as an older woman to ends up being someone he's not. Um, and I really, really think that that is, I don't remember why I brought it up in the first place because we're talking about hard times. <laughs> well, I think and I haven't read it, so I can't speak to it. But one thing right. about hard times that I think is really important is she, first of all, lyrically, this is reflecting on the ways that her adolescence was really changed and corrupted and, and ruined in a lot of ways. Right. And I think that seems thematically spiritually similar to what you're talking about. But also, I think that a lot of this is, I agree with you that in terms of placement, it's a little off to me because I feel like maybe it should be... I, the problem is I don't want to say it should be between Thoroughfare and Gibson Girl because those go really well together. Right. But I feel like textually speaking these thoughts are happening after thoroughfare before gibson girl and i say that because a lot of this is she has this great lyric in here i didn't realize sometimes the love could be bad because ultimately like we've said she's you know she's really floundering for this connection to others without ever thinking that maybe not all connection is positive and not all of it is good and this reflection about like wanting to be seen as an adult and seen as mature and seen as worth being in like a mature adult relationship. I I think it sounds like that's pretty similar to some of the themes explored in this little short story, author unknown. Um, so I, I, I will read it and then we can, I'll report back about whether or not that is what it is. But like, I think, I think hard times is a really great piece of the narrative. I don't like it as a, as a song, basically, I think is what I'd say about it. Right. And this comes back to like, how this album works as a medium I do think that this like area in the overall narrative is kind of where it's I don't want to say it's flopping because I could never say that about Ethel Kane and about this album in general but it's it's not as strong as the rest of the album is um and I think that as a medium that that is why like I think that's being a song is why it's like that I think if this were a film we could explore that in a different way, down a different avenue. Uh, but just as a song, Hard Times, it's one of the weaker songs in the album. Um, that's not to say it's not good. It's not. I it's I will I'm not gonna go and be like, I'm gonna press play on hard times right now. Um, <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. But uh when I'm listening through the whole the whole album, it's not like I skip it. No, I I would I would confidently say that no song on this album can be skipped if you want to understand what you're going through. I I feel like like no skip album is when you're like, well, all the songs are like equally good, but like I feel like for narrative purposes, you need to listen to every one of them and like really 
get through it. Um, but yeah, this song is followed up by the 10 minute extravaganza that is Thoroughfare. And oh, this song, listening, the, so we are getting to what I would call the turn of the mm-hmm. album. Things are about to escalate in such a way that, all right. Um, I think, so the thing about Thoroughfare is that this song is basically like, she has found the love she was looking for. She literally has a line where she's like, I've never met a man who wasn't angry. And this guy that she's literally met, like hitchhiking across America, seems to be this really great guy. And he's like, you know, quite literally, do you want to see the West with me? And she was like, yeah, actually I do. And I will say true, like truly one of the things about this song that I find so fascinating in the retrospective is you really feel her feelings. Cause like, it's so upbeat. You've just come off of family tree and hard times. And then this song is like, happy it literally feels like the clouds have parted over the character that is Ethel Kane like you've met this great guy you're gonna go see America together and have a great time and live this wonderful life and he seems so great and you really believe that is the thing and like the music really communicates to you that this is something you should be really happy about and it's so bizarre how that ends up I was not remotely prepared this 10 minute song is like I do really want to get picked up by some guy. Like, that's how, at least for me, I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is so, like, cute and romantic. No, you're so right, though. It's, you're like, so I feel like it's, like, a testament, like, who she is as a writer, that you're listening to the song fully believing, you're like, he seems great. He seems like this amazing guy who I would literally get in his car and see the West with. You're like, oh, finally she's found someone who treats her like not like shit. Like, that's so great. I'm so happy to hear that for her. However, it's like this song in general, I think is very much it is upbeat. It is it's whimsical. It's it's giving like it's romantic. It is. It's romantic. I think that when it comes to this song, where it is in the album and then looking back. You know, if you want just like a happy narrative, if you want to like listen to to an album about someone who's going through it and then finds her true love, maybe just end it here. Like maybe yeah, just- when thoroughfare stops, go pause mm-hmm. and, and then, then just close Spotify, move on with your life, never um, think about it again. Yeah, and then say, I know that there are five or six other songs in this album, but that's not really relevant to me personally. Y'all stay mm-hmm. safe though. Like yeah, like you if guys that's have what you time. want. Yeah, <laughs> however. If you want to continue down, and I think you should, we arrive at Gibson Girl. And I always say this about Gibson Girl. Here's my thing. Contextually, bad time. Lyrically, sonically, sex. Like So true! I I wish I had the power to say that this song, like, was not, like, in my personal opinion, like, so hot. Like, I listen to this and I'm like, this fucks. Like, I'm sorry. <laughs> this fucks listening to it I'm like you literally feel like you're in like a dimly lit smoke-filled room and you are the star of the show yes like yes that's black leather and dark glasses and I said oh and I'm wearing them Mm -hmm. I'm in the room with like I wish it was I wish I was like no it's not like no this is sex this is like your sex of the song it's so good it is phenomenal and dark like it is a dark song However, and terrifying in retrospect you're like it's oh it's scary. Really <laughs> um but listening to it it's like i'm turning up the volume no I'm literally the volume literally i'm like this is i'm turning on the red led lights i'm alone in the room like <gasps> i i'm wearing the doc martens i'm wearing the, like it's so 
And then like, it's one of those songs too, where the first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, this fucks. And then I went back and actually was like reading the lyrics and I was like, I'm framed. Yeah. Like I'm something, the vibe is, is so, so bad. Obsession with the money, addicted to the drugs, says he's in love with my body, it's why he's fucking it up. And I'm like, oh, okay, wait a minute. No, wait. Hold on. What? Hold on one minute, please. Like, Give me a second. And then like, I, yeah. All right. Her being mm-hmm. like, and hurt me. And if you hate me, please don't tell me. That, okay. okay. When we get to that point in the song though, her voice completely changes. And it Literally. is so dark because it's just like the, the whole song, she's basically like in her lower register. It's, it's moody. It's almost like, nightmarish you know like it's kind of you feel like you're walking through like like a very dimly lit room and then you get here and it's like she's begging and it is her her voice is high it's breathy it's almost like raspy she's on the verge of like a scream it sounds like you know it's it's scary to listen to and it's it's phenomenal it is insane it's so great and it belongs like most things this album it is so perfectly placed to yes. where it needs to be. I think too, one of the things she did production-wise that I love about this song is it's get this song's very synthy in a way that no other song on the album actually really is. So it feels quite distinct. And I yeah, I do love the, you know, like you described it as like you almost start suffocating with her near the end of this song. Like you're like, it's it's so Ethel King girly, this song is such a banger. I it's so good. It's a great song for like the narrative, but also this song just fucks like lyrically production wise. It's brilliant for what it is. And I love it. Just thinking about like, if you want it good and then it pauses in the instrumentals and then the bass drops is downright iconic. I'm screaming that on the freeway, you know? No, literally. And I'm like, and I'm sorry that when that happened, I said, that's hot. And then, I'm and sorry. Then... <laughs> I think what it does work for uh, in terms of, like, I think this song is a really pivotal moment in the themes of femininity and womanhood yes. as Ethel Kane perceives them insofar as we really feel her sort of um, try to use what she perceives as, like, femininity the way that, like, men find intoxicating as a way to stay safe. I, I, I think what I mean by that is just that, like, she's found a way to garner male interest in a way that she's like, this isn't, I'm not an active danger this way. However, that's more of like a construction she's made for herself than it is a reality because she actually is in a lot of danger and this doesn't protect her from that. I think part of the song, she's really thinking like that she's owning what she's doing. You know, she's, she's trying to get to a place where she can, bring her life into control and this is kind of in a weird spot too in in the narrative it's it's right before the next song um (laughs) however something that Hayden and Antonio said um is that she says I was using the guitars to translate the grittier side of of femininity that raw almost feral side of womanhood And then I was using ethereal vocals to translate the smooth, effortless air about femininity. And then the deeper vocals I was pitching down to convey that commanding matronly tone. So I was very much carving out a space for both myself and Ethel Kane as an ideal woman. And I think that this song really like completes that circle that we've been going through this entire album of like 
how Ethel Kane in her story in her life is expressing her womanhood. I think at this point she's, she is starting that loop of, I am tired. And I have gotten to a point in my life where this, this road that I've been taking is kind of scaring me, you know? And I, yeah. and it, it's scary to listen to too, as like, as hot as the song is, when you listen to the lyrics and when you, when you listen back, especially considering the next four songs, you're like, wow, wow, this was, this was not a, a song that was really like, yeah, I'm still bopping out to it. You know, I'm still like having a good time while I'm listening to it, even though I know what it's about, but it is yeah. one of those things where you take it into consideration. You're like, girl, please let me help you. Like, no, literally. I'm like, you need to get out. You need to go right now. Like, we can keep doing this. Us. Yeah, I think I, this is like something about this song, If He's a Womanhood, it reminds me a little bit of what um, Andrea Dworkin, who, all right, but um, Andrea Dworkin has, has talked about this idea before of like that there's a perceived power in sex when you're the subservient person in a sexual relationship because it's like the withholding power of sex, basically. And I think, you know, you mentioned this interview with Hayden, and I think it really does speak to the, like this sense of of Ethel Kane thinking this is a way that I have I have power in the situation. And that very quickly turning into something really, really, really bad. But I think it is a really interesting turning point in her journey through thinking about her own womanhood and thinking about what it really means for her. Um, because by the end of the song, you really do feel her, like the lethargy start to build for her. Like whatever this is that she's figured out about herself, it's tiring to her now. It's become something that is burdensome and cruel and has gotten her into a situation that is really quite bad. And I think that, it's so interesting this turn we see between thoroughfare and Gibson girl because you know like we like you said like thoroughfare thoroughfare is is whimsical and then you go from this sort of like almost childlike sense of love and getting into like a a fun relationship that you really enjoy contrasted by the far too heavy sense of adulthood and sort of the the difficult and heartbreaking and really tragic realities that sometimes come with that side of life and I find that like she's masterful on the turn of like we're doing good we're not doing good because you know like you said Gibson girl it's hot and then it's really really bad and then of course we must go from there into the track off of this album this song I wanted to read an excerpt um, from that same NPR review um, by Megan Garvey that I think really speaks to it, what the song does well, where she says, the open road in all its Western promises and freewheeling Thelma and Louise charm ends in California on Preacher's Daughter, dumping us inside a nightmare and the album's sickening climax. On Gibson Girl, hate fuck R&B grinds to a strip club death march. The psychedelically terrifying Ptolemaia is punctuated by shrieks of mortal terror and the buzz of flies, Kane's petrified voice interspersed with that of the devil or someone like him. And I think that really, like, when I tell you that this song specifically is a horror movie, I mean every word of that sentence. It is. It's off the shits. It's terrifying. And it's terrifying to listen to for a multitude of reasons. I feel like the first time I listened to it, I didn't really know what it was about. I didn't get, basically the song is that she's being eaten. Like, like literally. Yeah, like she's, she's being she's being murdered and cannibalized, not mm-hmm. in that order, um, by this man she met in Thoroughfare that she was so enticed by. Right. At first, I didn't really get the eating part and not even the and I kind of got the murder part. I was thinking it was more like assault. This album has like a trigger warning in general, just because that song is very difficult to listen to. 
Um, yes. It's wonderful. It is a brilliantly like produced song. The production of it is incredible. However, there's a part in this when she's repeatedly saying stop and then it leads into a scream and that is basically her being eaten and, yeah. and attacked. And uh, it is scary to listen to. However, you were in that quote, um, you said something about flies and the buzzing of flies is in the background of this song. It, it does appear on another track which is Family Tree. And I think that this recurring buzzing of flies in the background of a track is so, you know, like flies in in most media represent death. Um, and I think that is a huge part of this. And it's interesting to me that it's in Family Tree and this song. There's also a track that is coming up called Sun Bleached Flies. Um, and we'll get to that when we get to that. It's inherent in our brains that the buzzing of flies means death. Um, it's just something that, you know, is so prevalent in so much media, in books and movies and blah, blah, blah. And so in like we, our, our deeply human brains, like yes. we associate flies with decay. decay and like you really, rock. I really do think like that sound in the background, it's almost like you can smell the blood in this room. Like yes. it's so, when I tell you this song makes my skin crawl in the best way, like it, it genuinely, it's horrifying and upsetting to, to go through but one thing about her as an artist is she's not letting it's like she's not letting you go like you have to just sort of sit with what's happening I think she really does communicate to that sense of like you're trapped here like you are as she is which is basically like bound to a table and dying horribly and it is such a thing to listen to and engage with and I think it just speaks to her as an artist too about being able to communicate that so viscerally and effectively without really saying directly Oh no, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Yes. So along with that, there's a lyric in the song and the song kind of goes back and forth between Ethel Kane, like crying out, kind of, kind of narrating what's happening. She's in this like drug induced hysteria almost. And then there's this other voice that's going on. Um, And it is Ethel Kane's voice, but it's, it's pitched in a way that makes it sound uh, like a man and like a very evil demonic man <laughs> that it's it's terrifying yeah. to listen to at the very end of this song there there are some things that are being said um, that we can get to but right in the middle right before Ethel Kane is saying in her very high-pitched wheezy kind of voice she says like what fear a man like you brings upon a woman like me and right before that this voice says, you poor thing, sweet morning lamb. There's nothing you can do. It's already been done. And I think it's at that point where the audience, as well as Ethel Kane, realizes that she's done for, that there is no escape. And now we are very helplessly watching or listening to the death of this person who we have been with since the beginning of her escape from her family in the beginning of this journey of self-discovery and now it's coming to a close and we still have three tracks left however we have four tracks left however it is it is to the point where now we're we're watching helplessly and we just know what's going to happen to her and as a from a writing standpoint that is genius and it makes it really you know, is. Right? yeah it makes you feel it makes the listener feel trapped with her and that is something that i've never experienced while listening to an album no same and i will say too the thing of it like just from like a, a sound standpoint her scream is stomach turning like it is i fine 
I love a, I love a horror movie. I'm a serious horror fan. There are few things that I've seen or heard where I'm like, that was genuinely like viscerally upsetting to think about. Like, and you can't get out of your head. Like you will just mentally forever know, like, this is what that sounds like from this album. It's insane. And like, also the voice in the background, when I first listened to this song and I wasn't really like aware of the overarching narrative of this album, I was like, oh, it's an album, sure. Um, and I wasn't like looking for the story, basically. This felt like like a possession almost. Like it does feel like something mystical is happening in a very like dark, horribly demonic sense. And I, yeah, I just, you really do feel trapped with her. And like, you feel cramped and you feel unable to move. And then- you just have to watch because there's no, there's no getting out for her. So there's no way that we as the viewer get to escape with her. Like she's is stuck here now. And it's like, it's shitty and terrible and terrible and terrifying, but it's also amazing art in the way that she's able to really communicate to a listener, like not even visually just through your ears that this is what's happening to her and you don't get to look away. And at this point, I think that there can be two different ways that you can interpret the rest of the album one you can either think this is what i thought for a while you can either think that this is where she dies and then the rest of it is her coping with the fact that she's died you could either think that or what is so much more chilling and disgusting to think about but what i think ethel kane or hayden really had in mind when writing it was that this was not where she died but this is where she's trapped and now she is being slowly eaten over the course of what feels like a few months. And I say that because the next track is August Underground. Okay. I had literally never until you said that considered what the title actually meant. Yes. I'm going to throw up. Like when I, when I put the piece together, I literally was like, I'm going to vomit. No, because holy shit, I literally had, like, I'm telling you, like, honestly, I had not considered that that was what that meant. I'm like, oh my god. So, August Underground is one of the most genius tracks, I think, on this entire album, because it's, one, completely instrumental. There are no words. And that's just interesting for, like, a pop album in general. I kind of, well, I don't know if this is really pop. But it's, it's an alternative album, first of all. So that's just, it's really jarring. Because especially after Ptolemaea, you're like, wow, I needed that break. And it starts out kind of like, wow, this is a nice break. And also registering what you just experienced. Because that was literally terrifying. Your, your chest is tight. Your heart is beating fast. And now it kind of, August Underground is slow at the beginning. And you're kind of like, wow, I need this breathing time. And then it builds up and it kind of has Ethel Kane is like moaning in the background a little bit. She's kind of at times almost wheezing this like breathy voice. And it really sounds like she is alive. And then something I noticed like the other day, there is a sound in the background that sounds like banging. And then I put it together. The tour that Ethel Kane is on right now, is called the Freezer Bride, the Freezer Bride Tour. August Underground is about Ethel Kane locked in a freezer in this man's basement. That's what the song is about. I'm gonna hurl. I'm gonna throw up. I'm gonna no because first of all, this album was masterful before, and now I'm like, this is like literally like you're journeying to hell with her. This is oh oh my god, like I'll okay. 
And I will say this too, August Underground combined with Televangelism, which is the second entirely instrumental track of this album. This song, I didn't listen to very carefully the first time all the way through. And what's really cool about it, like psychologically is so, it's like a very like, I would say pretty like, chilled out instrumental song. But towards the end, the piano that's playing every four, like four or notes, it will go weirdly out of tune. And there's this static building in the background. And you get this sense that like, wherever she is, it is not good. And it's actually like, it's uh, it's genuinely like bone chilling because you're sort of like sitting there and you're like, okay, you know, she's been murdered and that definitely sucked. But like, you know, we're going to heaven now or whatever. Cause some people interpret this as like her ascent basically out of the body into, into heaven. And like, it's not at all. The first time I listened, I thought that, but the, the weird out of tune piano notes, this distortion you're hearing in the background combined with now what I know about August underground, like these two basically tell you if you're keen enough while you're listening, that she's not free of anything. She's still stuck here alive in this nightmare and like has no way out. What the fuck? Ethel Kane, literally love you so much, but please, I'm begging. This is hurting so bad. <laughs> like, uh, all right, all right, we mind, gotta go. Your mind truly, Ethel Kane, is Hayden. So huge. Like, Thank uh, you so much. Oh my God. Yeah. Anyways, um, Televangelism is, other than I think Family Tree, my actual favorite song off of the album um and it has no words it's just ethel kane at like a piano and this is how i at first i also thought the same thing that this song was her like ascending into heaven and i was like wow like that's really nice she's finally relaxed like she's finally out of this nightmare and then re-listening to it you're like no that's not what's happening however i do think that this song because the next song is sun bleached flies I think this song is because it's so even though it's still instrumental, so vastly different from August Underground. It's simply as piano and it almost sounds I would say like the ending where it's kind of slightly going out of tune. It's slightly crackling. It almost sounds like listening to a really dusty vinyl playing. Yeah. And it has like a few scratches or something that you didn't like. It's just sort of like there. Yes. And it's interesting to me that that is like the choice that was made for that because it's almost like oh look at this perfect song this perfect beautiful song but it's going out of tune and it's all scratched up my kind of latest interpretation about it is that it is Ethel Kane kind of coming to terms with the fact that she is gonna die and not in a tired way like with uh Ptolemyo where she's kind of like she knows you know that she's gonna die that's like when when the guy is like it's already been done whatever that's she's terrified in that moment and we know it because the instrumentals are off the shits in 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 this one she is coming to terms with it in a fat in a way that she's not necessarily afraid anymore she's just completely exhausted And this this idea of being back at the piano or sitting in a room listening to a vinyl is is what she's taking comfort in. But it's not perfect. She's not there yet. It's almost like she's in this very dreary, exhausted state. And that makes it so much more chilling because in this one, there's no banging. There's no banging anymore. There's no like moaning in the background. She's done fighting. And that is what is so 
sad and also chilling about this song and almost uplifting. And I say that because it's now, I feel like when you are in such a traumatic situation that you know you're going to die in, it's it's easy to keep fighting until it's not. And yeah. when you stop, I feel like there's a sense of almost relief that it's almost over. And that us listening to this album happening, it's like we know by now that Ethel has gone through it and has is literally being eaten alive locked in the basement in a freezer of this guy that she thought she was gonna explore the west with which is sad it's so yeah this song definitely has this like melancholy uplifting sound to it you really do feel like whatever you're whatever we whatever we are in is on its way out the end is approaching quite rapidly and you just sort of have to be like okay well this is what we got um, and it's definitely like a very heartbreaking end to what we've we've gone through with Ethel Kane as a character, um, especially because these songs being sort of bookended by the trauma that is Ptolemaea and then this sort of like weird release that we feel with Sunbleached Fly, which is the track after Televangelism, is so interesting to me in terms of how we we really feel what she's feeling in these moments and the terror is not really there anymore it's more just uh this is i have no I nothing left to give like and i think that it's so interesting that you bring up this idea of like not fighting anymore or like kind of giving into what's happening around you because this entire album is ethel kane fighting the world like she fights her family line she fights her hometown she fights herself she fights the men she loves all of that is her defiance of the world that she lives in. And you really do feel near the end of this track that whatever energy was driving her is gone and she's just done. And I think that that culminates really well on Sunbleached Flies because if you don't know what's happening in those last two songs, you might think, okay, well now she's like spiritually reflecting. She's found some degree of peace, but like this is still just a fantasy that she's living through in these idealized versions like she in in some flies she literally says what i wouldn't give to be in church this sunday which you know compared to how we start the album is weird this doesn't seem like a place of safety for her and it's not but it's certainly more safe than what she is in now and this longing she has for this past that never really existed is so like your heart just breaks for her as a character and as a person it's really difficult to listen to and just think well what else is she supposed to do you know, like you're just sort of trapped there with her. I I guess you're trapped there in this man's fridge in his basement, which is fucking insane. But yeah, yeah. no, those two, those two tracks, I've seen people sort of like diss them. They're like, oh, well, they're instrumentals. And I'm like, you don't understand them like I do. You, you get don't it. get like, it. You do not get it. <laughs> you don't know Ethel Kane the way that I know Ethel Kane. Okay, leave her alone. You guys don't understand. And that's also what we meant when we were like, there are no skips on this album. You do need to sit with those two tracks. Uh-huh. Like, and I will say those are, those all are also, like you said, like nice, I think, emotional breaks from the horror that is Ptolemaea. So you sort of are like, okay, well, we're chilling out a little bit. We're having time. It's a lot, though. This album's a lot. Sunbleached Flies, I do think, is is one of the more, this is, okay, so I start crying at August Underground. Like, that's when I start crying in this album when I listen through, and then I don't stop until the end. <laughs> because it's just, I don't know why this album, to me, like, gets in my head so badly but I just feel 
feel for it a lot. I don't know. Anyway, I know relatable content, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it does things to you. It really gets in your head, I think. Yeah. I, I think if you really share any of the feelings that she communicates near the beginning of this album, it's a really hard finish. Like it's hard. Sunbleach Flies has this line that I I know you're going to be shocked that I bring up. And it's near the beginning where she says, listening to the choir, all heartfelt singing, God loves you, but not enough to save you. And if I could just talk about my hashtag Christian upbringing for a moment, please and thank please, you. Please do, please do. Um, so as we as we may or may not be aware from my Twitter username, I am a Jewish man now. I am I'm in the process of converting, et cetera, et cetera. But I was not raised that way. I was raised a Christian. And I remember a lot of what my childhood growing up in the church was, was a lot of this feeling of like not being worth saved by something that made the whole universe. And I remember that feeling very distinctly because I went to Catholic school for a number of years. And a lot of that is just this like insistence on repentance for just being a person and existing. And you combine that with, at least in my case, figuring out that you're queer at a pretty young age, you start to put the pieces together. Like this God that they're all talking about clearly doesn't love you that much. Like, and this line is just like, like I'm getting like emotional talking about it. (laughs) Like this line is so potent to me. This she sings it with like this release, this exhaustion of like, God loves you, but not enough to save you. And I feel that it really taps into that sense of somehow not being worthy of love from the divine. And you really get that from her. But I think also if you were raised in a, any kind of hard Christian household, any kind of like, I think a lot of Christian households anyway, not even like really intense ones, this pervasive sense of failing in a way that God rejects you because of it, is so potent near the end of this album. And you really do feel it on this song too, because she gets this like evangelical sound going. Like she does a lot of great harmonies, but like you really do feel like you're in a church almost. The vibe is is very that. And I think it really brings up a lot of the the, the feelings and themes of this album, which is this idea that, you know, you're not, you're not worth that. You as a person are not worthy of that. So you go out into the world looking for it and you find it in all the wrong places, or at least rather that she did. And the contrast too of like the God that's the the archetypal father that she clearly, you know, struggles with throughout this entire album. Mm -hmm. And that sense of like, I think too, this whole, there's a theme in this album of like, well, everything happens for a reason. And it's like, well, for what reason is she being eaten in a freezer? Exactly. I would, I would love to know. I wish I could tell you. Um, and I think it's, it's really interesting too, that this next line is, so I said, fine. Cause that's how my daddy raised me. So she literally like is contrasting God and her own father and drawing out of that. I have to do it myself. I have to shoulder this myself. I have to make it work on my own because nobody's going to do it for me. However, she literally says, but in the end, the fire bent under the way that they gave me and this heart would break and fall twice as far. And I think that it really communicates this idea that like, first of all, like nobody can live a life alone. I'm I'm a firm believer that community is a very important thing to have for everybody. But I think also this concept of like, the idea you can just muscle through something if it's hard is ridiculous. And it's not true. And it's not good. And you see her really like thrashing through her life over the course of this album, trying to figure it out at some point. And she never gets to and like no amount of personal strength or fight left in you will change the fact that sometimes the world is as it is and you have to really just sort of deal with that and live through it and I think that's part of why I love this song too is the penultimate track on this album is because it really summarizes a lot of what she's what she's learned over the course of it and like some in a in a very morbid way obviously it's not like she's like well 
I learned my lesson, but like this song is a reflective song for her. It's a lot of realizing like what I wanted to be, who I thought I was. I can't do that. And it, I would have never been safe from that. And I think you also feel the, the weight of what she perceives to be like her fate, basically. She's got a lot of lines in these songs about like what you're destined to be based off who you come from. And I think this song is her in part recognizing like, yeah, I am a product of my environment, actually. Despite what I might have said on Family Tree about like, I know what I am. It's like, yeah, but you still are what you are. And I think that it's like, it's just a very emotional song for me. personally. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, this song means a lot, actually. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, just to close up on that, on Sunbleached Flies, the idea of her being like, I'm still praying for that house in Nebraska. It's back to what we were kind of saying about this girlhood into womanhood we've established that when she when house of nebraska is playing in that part of the that beginning of the album she is still in this girlhood she's she's has yet to transition into this idea of womanhood because you know and it's in the music it's in her lyricism it's in the tone that she's singing in and coming back down to sun bleached flies She's she's reliving this idea of I was trying so hard to explore who I was as a woman in America, as a woman in a male dominated society who grew up with men telling me what to do, that now all I want is to go back to that girlhood and to feel what I felt back then when I still was not exhausted and I still had this fiery energy in me because we go back to that. And yes, House of Nebraska is a very sad song, but it's also dreamy and it's also yeah musical almost because she's kind of just saying like I still cling on to this idea of being this girl and having this man who like I love and he loves me and that's literally all she wanted this entire album um that and to get away from her family and now all she wants is to be back in church <laughs> which is very interesting and I feel too that I think this song is like the mature, the matured version of House in Nebraska insofar as like, she says that she's still dreaming of that, but she also says, I can't let go when something's broken. It's all I know. And it's all I want to know. So like, even though she's like, I would kill to have this back. I would kill to go back to this. She's also aware that what it was, was also not healthy. And it also wasn't good. And I think that it's a really brilliant, like, full circle moment for her character, basically, of, like, I really want this back, but I know that it wouldn't be what I wanted anyway. And it's it's for whatever, for better or for worse or for terror, I needed to not be there anymore. And I couldn't have stayed there because it doesn't exist anymore. And, like, it's heartbreaking, but it's also wonderful as sort of an emotional conclusion and then the next song is not so much of an emotional conclusion. <laughs> I remember listening to this album and I finished the Moose Fires and I said, wow, that was a great album. And then the other song that you're playing and I was like, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. wait, wait, there's another one? <laughs> and that other one is titled Strangers. And this song is fucked. This up. song is so wrong. Like, like, Ethel Kane, you were wrong for this one. This one no, because literally finishing Sunday Fires, you're like, well, that was traumatic, but ultimately I, I really feel like I've healed a little bit of myself. It's okay, you know, it's whatever. And then Stranger starts playing and you're like, what? What? I <laughs> Wait, hold say, on, we're still here. Yeah, I will say that when when I listen to this album, sometimes I do skip Strangers. I will just pretend. And I, I do too. Just, it's so, it is 
traumatizing to listen it's to. It's genuinely like, I, it's gross. And like, I love it for that. I'm like, this is a brilliant thing to do as the end of an album because I think it's literally her way of reminding you like, hey, um, this didn't stop there. Like, you know, languish in that all you want, but this, the story is not over. Um, but yeah, I have, I will, I will skip this song if I'm having a good day and I don't want to meditate on that. Um, because just so we're all clear on this, the first line of Strangers is, in your basement, I grow cold. And she's so, we're just to be clear, we're still in the basement. We're still actually. in the basement. We, we never left. No, no, we're still in the basement. And this is why This, this song is so full of like, if you weren't clear on the cannibalism earlier, boy, are you now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> said, in case you didn't care, is it? In case you didn't grasp it the first time around, let me enlighten you really fast. Let me bring you up to speed on this. Like, oh my God, this song is so gross. It's so, it's disgusting. And and it's amazing. Like, it's yeah. so good. And it's sad to, it's sad. And I know a lot, a lot of these songs were like, oh, this is really sad to think about. But this song is just sad. Like, the song itself yeah. is like, like, if I listen to this without like listening to the album i i don't i don't do that i wouldn't do that imagine this being your first ethel kane song i really don't know what i would do with that information i don't think i could i'd be like oh that's sad okay i'm don't i think <laughs> no because literally also the way that i'm like if i want someone to listen to preacher's daughter i'll just have to like listen to the whole album but mm-hmm. i'm like oh but if you had to pick a song house in nebraska family tree american teenager like these are good starting points um this song is not on that list ever. Yeah. This song is is gross. Like this is also where the term for her tour "Freezer Bride" comes from, mm-hmm. um, where she says, "Freezer Bride, your sweet divine, you devour like smoked bovine hide," referring, of course, to her own skin, yeah, um, and like flesh that he is literally eating. Yeah, this is also though where we see the return of the mother, which she's uh-huh. notably absent from a lot of the latter half of this album is even a mention of her mom. But she says, when my mother sees me on the side of a milk carton in Winn-Dixie's Dairy Isle, she'll cry and wait up for me. I Yeah. Yeah, so this right. actually makes me sob so hard. I can't listen to it while I drive anymore. Um, it's <laughs> because I will crash. I will crash the car. It's, I will lose sight and I will not be able to drive any longer. I can't do it. It's it's one of my rules um, because I did it the other day and I was like, thank God there's bumper to bumper traffic right now. <laughs> Imagine if I was going the speed limit. Um, anyways, I do think this song is basically about Ethel Kane. I don't know. I feel like at this point she is she's dying and the last two lines are her like dead like she's yeah. dead which yeah. is- i think definitively this is like the actual conclusion of her life i mm-hmm. think you can say that with confidence um but basically the song is about her it's just she says you're so handsome walking over to me now and at this point in the song you realize girl please stop he's literally eating you right now literally eating you um and then she says i tried to be good am i no good and her voice in this in this is so sad and so scary to listen to um 
because she's just she's so sad and tired at this point and then she's saying I feel like she's saying am I no good to him right but I feel like she's also saying am I no good to the place where she grew up to the world to America because this whole album Ethel Kane is you know wanting attention from other men she's trying to figure out who she is through men through leaving her home trying to be her own person and it's this last song that she's like going back to this idea of existing for somebody else literally because he is eating her he is living he's literally sucking the life out of her and putting it into himself which is disgusting um but then she says am i no good with my memory restricted to a polaroid and evidence i just wanted to be yours <gasps> why would you write something like that okay that is so dark no that line is so like upsetting and i think what's so interesting about it too is like what i think of in that anyway is like basically that a lot of women who end up suffering violence by men end up being restricted to the story of violent men yes. um time to get on my soapbox I about maybe with true crime but mm-hmm. but like but like I do I do genuinely feel that a lot of like true crime a lot of these people who really relish these stories of, of brutal violence always consistently neglect the fact that these were people a lot of times these were women and I think that part of this tragedy for her is realizing, like, all I'll ever get to be now is something that is discussed when his actions are being brought up, when his life is being explored. I don't get to be a person anymore. I've literally been reduced to a Polaroid in evidence. And it's heartbreaking. And I think the contrast of that, too, with this idea of her mother seeing her on a milk carton, like, basically this, like, because those don't come, like, one after the other, but, like, the juxtaposition between being depersonalized to a figure in a story of grotesque violence and then being genuinely seen and missed by her mom are these two very like at odds ideas. And I find it interesting too that we get any talk of her mother at, on, on this song and in this album because it's called Preacher's Daughter. Like you brought this up at the beginning, like this is her, she's talking about being her father's daughter, not her mother's. And yet, as she's literally preparing to be like fully dead, who is she thinking of? It's not her dad. No. It's just like this fantasy. And I, I feel too like this, it's almost like a, a pleasant fantasy. My mom will see me and she'll be upset that I that something happened to me, which is heartbreaking. But I feel it does conclude some of the themes she's been thinking about. Of just like, I hope that when I'm seen by my mother, she'll feel something for me she'll feel upset at this and I'll be seen by it yeah and that's something that I think she she has struggled with this whole journey through her life is um the whole album is about family we know that and at the end the last thing she's thinking about is family is her mother um I also think that because motherhood is such like a prevalent idea in just Ethel Kane universe um like we call her mother Kane she is mother anyways um I think that this (laughs) it's so interesting to switch back and forth between the idea of her her she's being seen by this man who is literally eating her but she's being she wants to be seen by him still even though he's been hurting her for god knows how long she still wants to be seen and be loved and she knows that the only, in the end, the only person who's going to give her that is her family. 
which is really interesting to me because she she is not she's wanted nothing but to get away from her family and it could be her just being like I wish my family cared about me like I wish because this this whole album takes place after her father's died right so it's she she's only has her mother left and she's kind of just like I hope my mom feels bad for me however we do know that with Hayden her relationship with her family has uh, gotten a lot better since she left her hometown um, and that she has a good relationship with her mother uh, and so I'd like to hope that Ethel Kane has the same, um, that Ethel Kane's mom does really feel for her, that she does, you know, is really upset. And I think it's, so, it's just so sad. And then we have that, like, oh, she's going to be crying when she sees John and Mel Carton. And then she goes, if I'm turning in your stomach, am I making you feel sick? First of all, gross. Second of all, it's her being like, I'm making you feel something, right? Like I'm making you feel something still. I'm still here, which is so, so upsetting because this is her final. It's so bad. It's so bad. And she's, she's fully gone into this place of like, well, at least something's going on that I've done. At least I'm playing a role in the way that you feel about how you're like, how your body feels, how your mind feels. Like I'm still there basically. It's genuinely like, it's heartbreaking and upsetting. It's brilliant from a right. writing perspective. It's it's great. But yeah, even in, even in her final moments of literally being cannibalized, she's still apologetic. Mm-hmm. And I find it interesting too, because this album plays a lot with themes of Christianity, this perversion of like the idea of communion, you know, this whole eat of my flesh thing. Like it's really interesting to turn it on that theme and those ideas that this thing that widely is considered a holy act when it's in this one context you change it even a little bit and it's dark and disturbing and disgusting but yeah i will say when i when i heard her say i'm if i'm turning in your stomach and i said i need to pause the song for a second i was like all right so bad bad. i think the best part of the song is at the end basically when she switches to found you found you just tell you that i made it real far the instrumental kind of drops off and we're in like this more like light guitar moment and I think it's also interesting, you know, we talked about this, this idea of being like seen by her mother, basically, where she says, don't worry about me and these green eyes. Mama, just know that I love you and I'll see you when you get here. First of all, heartbreaking and like tear inducing. But the fact that her actual final thoughts, I find this juxtaposition really interesting because you have her thinking about like, if I'm turning in your stomach. So this idea of how she's affecting this guy that has murdered her um, and cannibalized her over the course of what we assume to be a long time. But her last thoughts are turned towards her mother and her last thoughts are turned towards herself. And it's like in this final moment, this last thing she's able to experience, she is focused on her own personhood. She's mentioned something about her that we didn't previously know. And she's basically said, I'm sorry, this is it. And it's so like, I'm returning returning to this quote. This review is so full of good quotes, but there's a quote in there that says, If there's truth to O'Connor's theory, Flannery O'Connor's theory, that every great story is marked by a moment where grace waits to be accepted or rejected, this is it. What difference it makes, what grace one is allowed, is another issue entirely. Is it true, as the crucifix suggests, that redemption is accessed through, through agony? And like, I think that's really a poignant way of thinking about the ending of this song, of this idea of like, suffering for a purpose almost but in the end she doesn't focus on the valor of her suffering of like feeding this man literally she focuses on that she was a person 
and she had a name and a face and she got to live. And the review ends by saying, but that's Kane, a cautionary tale. Angie Dona is still out here, the final girl, writing stories of heaven and hell in America, writing the story of the rest of her life. And I think it's because ultimately, you know, we see this divergence between the character that is Ethel Kane and the person that is Anh- that is Anhedonia. And I'm really fascinated by that because this album has such a hurtful ending, but it's almost made lighter by the knowledge that this didn't happen to her. She made a different choice. She didn't get in the car with this guy, et cetera, et cetera. Like, the life that she's led is one more. She still gets to live one. And I think that despite this, like, deep sense of heartbreaking sadness you leave this album with, you're reminded of the fact that this didn't happen to her. But I think you're also left with the horror that this happened to someone. That's, like, how I feel about that. (laughs) No, yeah, and you're so right. I think that the... the claiming that Ethel Kane is the story of a, it's a cautionary tale. It's interesting to me because it, this is something that happens to so many women. At, like, Anhedonia being a trans woman, I think adds this other level to it because like trans women are constantly under threat just, just by virtue of being at all. Yeah, of just existing. This album is, yes, a masterfully written, beautiful and dark story um, that, you know, makes the listener feel so many things and uh, basically ends just like perfectly and great and um, not in like a happy sense, but in the narrative sense. And yet you listen to this album and you're like, maybe I need to lock my door, you know, maybe I need to be careful with who I hang out with. You know, it's it's one of those things that reminds you, oh, right, I'm a woman. And I need to be careful. Um, and and it's sad too. And I hope that when people listen to the album, there there are kind of like, oh, women and especially trans women are victims of violence constantly. Um, and it's not always by random people. It is sometimes by people that you think you're in love with, uh, which is such an important thing to be discussing, especially now. So yeah. I, I agree with that. I also think like, I basically think it would be cheating out the the audience in the story if this album had had a kind ending. Yeah. Like, like we joke, we're like, well, we pause it, suddenly just flies. And like, I do if I'm, ha- if I'm listening to the album, it's just like listening to it. But like, as a narrative, I feel it needs to have this really sad ending because the reality is that when this happens to people, once again, obviously not like the full cannibalistic living in a freezer thing, but like the reality is that violence against women is a, a thing that happens to people and it's not a thing that you get to just like get out of for for far too many people that is not the case and i think that anhedonia made a really good choice in basically saying like i'm not going to let you leave this thinking it was fine because it wasn't and i think that it's important that we as as listeners and as people sit with that idea about like this is a reality. And I also think, you know, I mentioned my beef with true crime earlier. One thing that this album does that I think is wonderful is it doesn't relish the pain that she's going through. We're not meant to enjoy the horror. Like a lot of old slasher movies obviously have a huge problem with misogyny because you're meant to enjoy this really brutal violence against women. This album doesn't let you do that. It it, it so point blank and so directly says, I will make sure that you will not have any way of interpreting this other than how I need you to see it, which is terror and heartbreak and sadness, because that's what this ends up being. 
And I think that it's really beautiful for doing that because I think all too often stories about violence against women specifically become an enjoyment of the violence. It becomes trauma porn. And this album never dips into that. The only song that like, you're like, oh, this is scary. is just because it is. The situation is terrifying and you need to feel that as a listener and as someone who's engaging with this piece of art. Right. When I think in this album, the only time that is it's even glorifying kind of like a, a violent men and like living with violent men. It's all Ethel Kane is saying like, oh, like, you know, Gibson Girl, that's literally what the song is about. And, yeah. but we know, like, we know as the audience that this is bad and it, there's no way around that, you know? Like, yeah, the song is hot and sexy, but also it's like, when you listen to the lyrics, you're like, oh no, like this is not gonna be good. And then it is immediately followed by her literally being eaten alive. So yeah, yeah. Gibson Girl specifically is a very interesting song on this, like uh, as like a whole project because, like I said, it's hot, but it's not actually that great. Like, and I I think that that's such an important like realization to focus on when you listen to any song off of this album. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Slay, love, love wandering back to the point. Um, one thing that I love that I think you brought up is just this idea of like Ethel Kane as a as a character. She's internally consistent. She like. She presents us with situations that as outside viewers were like, no, this is really bad. Like, this isn't a good thing. But she as a person, that's how she sees it. And I think that just speaks to the fact that like, what a what a strong sense of character that we get out of this album. Many of the other girls who are writing to take several notes about if you want to write internally consistent characters uh-huh. who do bad things, start writing. Listen to yeah. Preacher's Daughter. And take fucking notes. Then <laughs> come I, talk to me about it. And I think that one of the reasons too that I um think that this, if this is ever adapted, which is basically what um Hayden's intention would obviously be, it would work better as a book than a film. I think aesthetically, it would serve as a film. Like it would be so good. Yeah. Um, especially with the right director, like it would be phenomenal. However. I think there is no room for false interpretation with a with the album. And I think that that would be the same with a first person POV novel. With a film, it's harder to get the unreliable narrator, the internally consistent character who because of the way that films are done, you know, you're not inside of someone's brain. Um, and you can guess, but if you, you know, if you're watching, if you go to the theater and you go to watch Oh Preacher's Daughter, the film, and have have not listened to the this album, you you might not get it. You know, you might not get it. Yeah. No, I feel that I feel that you're very correct so far as like it's very important that we understand where the character is coming from yeah. in order to really get what's going on. And I think too, yeah, film itself often I think lends itself more than some other than some other mediums to almost willful misinterpretation. Um, especially when you're considering the fact that like this is ultimately a piece about one woman's understanding of her of her sense of womanhood. And like even like there's basically there's no way as a man to consume that that does not come in with the biases of being a man. That's just and like mm-hmm. I admit like in hearing you talk about it, there are certain subtleties that I didn't pick up on listening the first couple times through that I'm like, oh I see that now. I'm understanding like that's something that was different than it's experienced. And I, I agree that like a book would make that much harder to, to ignore. I think of like, this is what we need you to get out of this movies. 
I think have a problem with that. Also, just film bros, n- no. I would worry no, because they would not understand. No, I know that for sure. Understand. I feel like I feel like the <laughs> the the TikTok. Sorry. I just thought of the idea of the soups review preacher's no, daughter. <laughs> the soups review of preacher's daughter. That's my literal nightmare scenario. That is my nightmare. This is like, all right, guys, I listened to Preacher's Daughter by Ethel Kane. Here's what I thought about it. It was kind of bad. Why were there two tracks of no words? Like, that was, no, that no because literally, no, I feel like Soup needs to get employed by Pitchfork and the two of them can hold hands and write the world's worst review for this album. No, I can't. I would, I would, I would become violent. Um, I'm obsessed. Yeah. I can imagine, like, the film bros, if this was ever turned into a film, just my entire TikTok feed would, mm, I throw up just thinking about it. No, it's like, so you don't get it. So you, yeah. So you don't get it. So where's your critical thought? Rub two no, brains together. Pick up a fucking book. I've had enough. <laughs> like, Better yet, listen to the album. <laughs> why don't you put it in your little ears and press play, and then surely you might come out of this with more understanding. But even then, like, I don't know. I'm very careful about who I recommend this album to, like, amongst my friends. Yeah. Because there are some people who are like, I love you terribly. I don't think you'd take, you'd walk away from this with what I really think you need to walk away from it from. Like, I'm just, mm, yeah. And those people, I'm like, press play on American Teenager. So good. So fun. So good, yeah. American Teenager. Play on Thoroughfare and then stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The thing about Thoroughfare is, like, you can listen to it in isolation and it's like, oh, so I love so being in love. I love the open road. You're like, yeah, stop there. Be no, done. We don't need enough. it. Enough is enough. Mm-hmm. That next song, don't press play on that. Please. Please yeah. don't. Anyway, um, I'm so happy that we just spent like an hour and 82 years later talking about Ethel Kane. This album is fantastic. Thematically, it's very interesting. Um, and yeah, if you're thinking about listening to it, listen to it. You should have listened to it before this. Yeah. Um, we just spoiled the whole album. Talk about it. Spoilers for Ethel Kane. Yeah. <laughs> but like, um, genuinely, it's one of my favorite pieces of, of music that's come out in the last couple of years that I really like. And there's so much to it. Like reading interviews and reviews and interpretations are so, there's so many different ways to approach it. Um, but ultimately, I think it really just is a very like raw album about when women's struggle with understanding her place in femininity and her place in family and her place in America. And it's, it does that both with horror and really beautifully. And um, you should listen to it. That's it. That's the review. Yeah. Listen to the album. Um, listen to Ethel Kane. Okay. Bye. We're done. Bye. <laughs> Maybe we should bring it back to family tree intro. So true. Yeah. So let us circle back. Now that we've gone through the whole narrative, now that we've gone through the whole story, family tree intro. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Doesn't it make so much sense now? It just, um, it's certainly a lot. It's certainly a lot. I will say that personally for me. I said, oh, all right. <laughs> so many of these songs change context. Also, yeah, just circling back to that line in American Teenager 2 of It's Just Not My Year. And it really wasn't. Is yeah, girly, you have no idea. You have no I'm idea. So sorry. Like, mm, yeah. One of the lines that I think a lot about from Family Tree Intro with looking back is he'll scream and try to wash it off his fingers, but he'll never escape what he's made up of. Yeah. Um, 
I personally think a lot about that with like the guy that ends up murdering her actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that because there's a line in Strangers where she's like, basically, you know, I'm like, am I making you sick? Are you, is this upsetting to you? And I just think about this idea of like this guy, basically it's like randomly being overcome with guilt for what he's done, but ultimately still doing it for a nightmarish. And of course the, the literal truth of this entire song, which is um, Jesus can always reject his father, but he cannot escape his mother's blood. Even in her last moments, who's she thinking of? The mom. The mom. We come back to this idea of motherhood, which is so connected to womanhood. um, And we really just know what the album is about. Um, I think that the last line in Family Tree intro, when um, the swinging by my neck from, or actually the whole thing, the fates already fucked me sideways, swinging by my neck from the family tree. He'll laugh and say, you know, I raised you better than this then leave me hanging so they can all laugh at me. Continuing with what we were just saying about strangers, what is she's literally just reduced to a photograph in an evidence locker. She's reduced to this person who left her very Baptist, very religious community and has become a cautionary tale that her community is probably going to laugh at, to talk about. Um, this kind of circles back to the idea of like, even her dad being the preacher, she has this, she's already going to have this reputation within her community for being the preacher's daughter, for being the one who was supposed to be the, the shining star or whatever. And then she left and look what happened to her. They're all going to laugh at her now. And I, yeah, that idea of being reduced to a narrative almost, which is that, you know, that reflection she has at the end of Strangers is really felt here. And this idea too of him saying, I know I raised you better than this. Because um, you feel that same tension in American teen, like comparing like, for example, American teenager to Gibson girl, um, this difference we see of this like idealized cheerleader high school girl versus the woman she's trying to be in throughout Gibson girl, like, it's a really jarring transition. One I feel works best because of how the album is structured, but you really do get this sense that like, yeah, her town is going to like string her up metaphorically and be like, look what could happen to you if you go and do this, if you leave, if you change, if you try to be anything other than what we are, they, that's, that's all they'll think of her as. And it's fucking a lot. Yeah, it is. It's a lot to think about. It's an emotional album. Um, and it leaves you, I think, after the first time you listen to it, even actually just now, like after listening to it, I don't play anything else for the rest of the day. It's like, I can't, yeah. I'm just stuck there and I'm sitting there and I'm just thinking about this preacher's daughter who was cannibalized by someone who she thought she was going to be in love with. It's masterful. Listen to it. That's all. <laughs> That's it. Thank you for listening to Cowboys and Slaybots, a pop culture podcast where two gay people talk way too much about what they're thinking about that week. You can follow us on social media at Cowboys and Bots. Please review us on Apple Podcasts and give us a little rating on Spotify. It would really help and we would really appreciate it. See you next week. Um.